My name is Kurt, and uh, it's a privilege to be sharing from God's Word on the topic of stewardship and stewarding relationships. Uh, did you hear about the preacher who asked the congregation to read Mark 17 in preparation for the next week's message? When Sunday rolled around again, he asked them for a show of hands who had read Mark 17. When most of the hands went up, he calmly told them there was no Mark 17 in the Bible. So the focus of his message would be on lying. Well, actually, this morning, I want to do exactly the opposite. I want to start by saying I have learned so much from this congregation, from all of you on stewarding relationships. Um, leaving a place where you've, you've lived for almost two decades and then coming and, and uh, putting new roots down. Um, we have been so blessed um, to have this new church family and these spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ has been a treasured gift. But I do want to warn you this morning, when you get into investing in relationships, you never know exactly what it's going to cost you. There will be a cost. Um, one, of the, one of the common names here in our fellowship is, is Rumbled. Um, our family has really enjoyed getting to know Rumbled. In fact, we keep meeting new ones, even though we think we've kind of met them all. There's new ones being born. So the Rumbled family is alive and well and, and growing and and uh, so I have a little rumbled story that shows what you might get into. I want you to imagine this morning that it's, it's not snowy outside. It's a, it's a great summer morning in July, and uh, it's time for church camp. That, that was kind of me six months ago. Um, I couldn't get there at the first part of the week. Didn't even know what to expect, but Dan and I were going to go later in the week. And so uh, Jess and Jada asked if we would pick them up and take them to church camp so we could all take, take on the second half of the week. And we were excited about that. Now, uh, I did want to show you, if, as we think about relationships, and we think about how hard it's been after COVID and all that that's done to kind of shake us up, sometimes we feel like this. Our circle of friendships has kind of turned into our pets or shrunk down into something a little, bit, a little bit weird. But when we think about the cost of relationships, no, this is not me getting ready to be Santa or anything like that. You see, on that morning that I went to, Den and I went to pick up Jess and Jada, unfortunately, doors got locked in such a way that these little guinea pigs were not going to have the care they needed over the extended weekend. And so we had to solve the problem before we could head to Indiana. And so the only way not to cause damage to the house and to get in to rescue Pierce's porkers <clears throat> was to break in through the upstairs through the air conditioner. Well, as we think about stewarding relationships this morning, here's the point I want us to focus on. As we look at God's word, I want us to see that stewarding our relationships with others means we imitate how God values his relationship with us. You see, God's relationship with us produces in us an overflow. If everything that we have, all that we are, is from God, then we have to realize our greatest gift is that we have been restored and given a relationship with the living God. Starting in the series, Don reminded us that stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So if God made it all, he owns it all. That includes us, it includes people around us. And so 
treasuring what God has given us enough to invest in protecting and growing it means that we're going to care about relationships. Now, when we think about stewarding time and possessions and money, the end result is that there is going to be a renewed focus on people. They're, they're all interwoven together. We can't steward one without it really leading us to steward the other when we have a biblical framework. Now, culture talks to us about handling, handling relationships completely different than God's version. Our culture gravitates towards friendships that are going to help us in some way. Social media often has a chokehold on us, right? We want to be connected with the right people and distant from the wrong people. We're told who those people are by other people who are put on that pedestal of popularity and prestige. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up on a, on a farm. We had hogs, we had cattle, we grew crops. And so one of my chores after school usually was, was feeding the pigs. The, and so I would, I would feed the ones that were farrowing, but then there were these sows and boars that needed to get fed on this slab of concrete. And so what I would do is I would take several buckets of feed and I would string it out in a line. So picture this line of feed all along. And as I was pouring that out, the hogs would realize it's about time to get fed and they would be stomping and snorting and pushing on the gate and, and they would be getting upset with each other. And as soon as I opened that gate, you know what happened, right? Here they came just full force and it was survival of the fittest and you better get whatever you can get because it's going to be gone in about three seconds. Our culture and our world and our human nature kind of fosters within us a desire to use relationships for ourselves. Get what we can. Make it survival of the fittest. Make it about first come, first serve. And too bad if you don't get your share. But you see, as we think about stewarding our relationships with others... And patterning that out of how God has treated us, we have to realize that stewardship is grounded in the two great commandments and the great commission. Those two things compel us to steward relationships. Love God, love people, and make disciples. As we think about imitating Christ, as we think about how God has done that for us, please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. As I contemplated this topic and I was thinking about where does the Bible speak to this and how do I take a, a broad topic like this, God led me to Romans chapter 12 as a focal point where we get to see how to steward our relationship with God, how to steward our relationship with other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and how to steward our relationship with those who are distant from God who don't yet know Christ. So let's begin in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is page 947 in your uh, church Bible in the pew there if you want to follow along. Paul writes this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is in a big transition in the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 have all been building up on what Paul here calls the mercies of God. 
In other words, God's salvation plan that we obtain the righteousness of God. We obtain a right standing with God based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ received by faith. That it's not of works, that it's a gift of God. And so he, he, he leads us through this. And that is why Paul could come here to chapter 12 and say, here's my appeal. Here's what I would beg of you. Is that now, based on what I've told you about how God has given you eternal life. Here's how you can live that life. We might say that Paul is saying it's his life for us. And now it's our life for him. As a thank you. As a gift. And so Paul is burdened that we understand that there's an application to how God has treated us. There's an application in our lives that's very, very practical. And so as we steward our relationship with God, we first of all need to take time to take in all that God has done for us. That's what communion's about. That's what we're going to celebrate here in a few moments, is that we take time to remember Christ. And so if we think about Romans 1 through 11, we realize that that is a huge, huge mountain of great things that lead us down this road of salvation. Let me just refresh our memories for us of the mercies of God because if he's appealing to us, if he's saying, based on what I've just told you about God's undeserved goodness, then we better be made aware. Romans 3.23 makes it pretty clear that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us has an ability to have a relationship with God on our own. But that God chose to do something about it. In Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we couldn't get to God, God chose to come to us. When we were enemies, when we were running the other way, when we were basically doing what all the soldiers did, spitting on his face, mocking him, he came and took our shame and our guilt upon himself. Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve is eternal separation away from God's presence forever for all of eternity. But there is a free gift that's been offered to us. Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, Paul goes on, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This morning, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. You've been declared righteous by God because of Christ. One more, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so in our heart... If we come to realize, I can't get to God, I can't earn, I can't do enough, I simply need to accept the gift that Jesus took it all on Calvary. 
that the thorns that were pressed into his skull and the blood that was streaming down his face and his back that was ripped to shreds and yet he carried the cross up on Calvary and he allowed himself to be nailed between two thieves and to hang there naked in shame and suffering and then to know that the father would turn his back because of my sin being on Christ. What a gift. When we accept that and we receive it, God says, welcome home. I'm not going to hold it ever against you again that you ran from me, that you disobeyed me, that you didn't want me. Andrew Ripp has a song playing a lot on the radio. says, where would I be? Where would I be if it wasn't for the love of God? And so that's why Paul can write here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, once we take in what God has done for us, then it hits us. And we realize it was his life for me. It's my life for him. We surrender all that we are to God. That's how we steward our relationship with him. You see, we, we continually, through our life, say, God, I'm willing to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you because of what you've done for me. I'm not earning anything from you. I'm, I'm wanting to live in grace. I'm wanting to live in response to you. He says, I want you to consider offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translations say reasonable service. It's the reasonable response when we realize what God has done for us. We also see that if we're going to surrender, we need to learn about the will of God to say no to the will of the world and yes to the will of God. And so in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what his will is, what is good and pleasing and perfect. It's a mind shift for us to live, not for ourselves, not to please the world, not to impress people, but to be a living sacrifice for God. To say, God, I am choosing to be your slave because you gave me freedom. When we do that, it's a transformation. So I wonder, how's it going for everybody on your New Year's resolutions? We're what, at January 21, and we're thinking about, you know, how we were going to read through the Bible in a year, and this was going to be the year. Okay, I didn't start out that great. So if you're feeling a little guilty right now, it's okay. Because here's the deal. We can refocus and we can say, God, I don't know what it looks like this year. But I know that my mind needs renewed. I know that I need a mind shift so that I'm not following the pattern of the world, but I'm following after the will of God. And God, if I'm going to discern your perfect will, if I'm going to understand how to live by your spirit, if I'm going to be able to listen to your voice, then i got to have your truth in my life. And so read God's word and decide, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God what he wants to show me. I'm going to be in the word, not because I'm going to check it off, but because I want to be able to say, God, I'm your servant. My life is yours. You gave me life, so I'm a living sacrifice. Now help me to know your will. And as we do that, as we grow in our stewardship of our relationship with God, then we get to also steward our relationships with other followers of Jesus. And that's where we begin in verse 3. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, 
And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We can't value others when we constantly wish we could be like them. When we feel like we don't measure up or that we have, you know, we have less to offer than someone else, we're focusing on ourselves. And Paul here says, accept and live out who God made you to be. If we're going to steward relationships, we got to realize God made us on purpose, for a purpose. He's got a plan for how he made us and how he wired us, including our spiritual gifts. And that rather than step aside and think that I don't have anything to offer because somebody else could do it so much better, to realize that, no, God is a place for me. That's one thing I loved about the deer feed because I saw people up front, like Mr. Steve Thompson, doing a great job emceeing, but I also saw a lot of guys behind the scenes setting stuff up, tearing down, preparing food, serving, all of that stuff. You see, that was a beautiful picture of living out who God has made us to be in the body of Christ. We are also called to love in a genuine way that runs from the bad stuff and anchors to the good stuff. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You ever taken one of those 1,000 milligram vitamin Cs? Big old horse pill. And it's kind of hard to choke down, but you take it because you realize it's going to help you with good health and building your immunities. These verses are like, it packs a punch, right? And there's a whole lot in that capsule, but it's so that we can do a the job that God wants us to at stewarding the relationships with other followers of Christ. And so as we accept who God made us, and we realize that I have something to offer you and you have something to offer me, then we realize that the foundation of that is going to be a genuine love. A genuine love that's sincere. You might jot down Colossians 3, 5 to 9, and also verses 12 to 17, because we looked in our last series about what are the things to avoid and what are the things to embrace as we walk by the Spirit. But we also do this. We make it a goal to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Make it a goal to recognize and appreciate brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to their hearts. Ask good questions. Find out what they're hoping for. Find out what they're grieving. Help their good ideas become a reality. Look for the positive instead of the negative. You see, oftentimes we get bogged down in the body of Christ because we get hurt and we hurt others and others hurt us. And there's this idea that we kind of want to give up on all of this. But he says, keep our passion to serve the Lord by serving his people. Don't give up. Keep our joy because of our hope that he who began a good work in you will finish it. Stay the course in hard times. Don't stop praying for each other. I really appreciate the emails that come through, which is somebody using their gift to get that out to all of us. How tempting is it to not open that email? I'm too busy. How tempting is it to maybe pray once, but I've appreciated how many times people have asked us when we put prayer requests on, how's it going? And that follow-up, and it's a beautiful stewarding and an impact in my life. 
So what's the bottom line in stewarding our relationships with others? Think about how to bless others more than ourselves. What's our attitude when we attend church? Pastor and author Mark Dever asks us to think about our Sunday worship, and he writes this, quote, Where did you park? What time did you get to church? Where did you sit? Who did you speak to? Each one of these decisions provided you with an opportunity to give yourself to others and so join in the work of Christ. Or they provided you with an opportunity to look out for yourself and to do what is best for you. So which was it? And here's his punchline. Do you consciously strategize how to bless others with each of those decisions? Being a disciple of Jesus means orienting our lives toward others just as Jesus did. It means laboring for the sake of others. This love for others is at the heart of discipling. It's a great reminder that we intentionally strategize how to bless other believers around us in our lives. Now I encourage you to go back to Romans 12 this week and to dive in a little bit deeper. But let's move on to stewarding our relationships with those distant from God. In verse 14, he picks it up. Bless those who persecute you. Did you get that? So we've just talked about blessing our brothers and sisters in Christ, but now he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if we're going to have this reality check that not only do we care about our relationship with God, not only do we care about our relationship with other believers, but we are also supposed to care about and steward our relationship with even those who make life hard for us as followers of Jesus. We're called to this. So how do we do it well? First of all, prioritize your relationship with God. Notice that persecution is a given if we're stewarding our relationship with Jesus, right? He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you as if that's an expectation. Why? Because when we choose God as our number one relationship, we're going to have to say no to aspects of other relationships. I like the quote off of the movie, God's Not Dead 2, when the teacher, Grace Wesley, says, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. So what does persecution look like for someone in central Illinois stewarding their relationship with Jesus? Maybe we don't get invited to certain parties. Maybe we get a little bit of ridicule by a teacher or shunned by our classmates. Maybe we get passed over for a promotion or we lose a business deal. But standing with the world means 
that we forsake the one who treasured us enough to hang on that cross and die for us. And who never leaves us or forsakes us. So it starts with prioritizing our relationship with God. And from that foundation, then we build and we say, now we can seek to bless out of a desire to reach them, not to earn their favor. Not to earn um, somehow that they would better our lives, but we're seeking to bless their lives. Pursue the good of those who treat you bad. Rather than returning the favor of making life hard, do the opposite. Being in small town America, I know in Illinois you don't wave at each other quite like Nebraska. You know, in Nebraska, everybody waves. You're going down the highway, you better wave because you may have just passed somebody that knows you. And if you didn't wave, you're rude. So I was listening to WCIC and they were talking about how this older couple, you know, they're walking down the road and, and waving to everybody. And this guy on the radio says, wouldn't it be great if everybody just did that? And I was like, I know a place. Yeah, it's, it's Nebraska. But no, here in Illinois, we also have this small town feel and we know what it's like to get the cold shoulder from a neighbor, right? I had times in Nebraska where a stand for the Lord meant that somebody didn't like me and I would, would I keep waving or would I kind of look the other way too because they sure weren't waving back at me. You see, there's this opportunity that we have. Are we going to go with evil for evil reactions, even if it's passive, pulling back, distancing ourselves, or like I think it's Jack Dempsey who said, the best defense is a good offense, who was a boxer who said, let's go. And not that we are seeking to knock them down, but let's bless them with love. I think Paul also reminds us to try to meet them in their highs and lows like a friend. He says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So when we see somebody celebrating something good, rather than that, man, why didn't they do that for me? Come alongside them. Attend the funeral of a neighbor's family who's not been kind to you. Send a graduation gift to the child of someone who never cared about your kids in the least. That can be huge if we do not try to be above them but to appreciate them. And that flows into Paul's next reminder. Keep a humble attitude, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. If we talk as if People who don't agree with us are stupid. Guess what? They're going to feel put down. They're going to feel as though we don't want anything to do with them. The world doesn't cross social boundaries very well, but as Christians, we're called to that. I loved hearing about the share closet and ministering to the elderly. Do you know that in, in, in smaller towns and rural areas, the number of elderly people is on the rise? Well, the number of, of workforce and people able to care for them is on the decline. What does that mean for the body of Christ? Well, like the share closet, take some effort to reach out and minister to those that maybe are in a different place in life than us. Keep that humble attitude and then don't get caught in the evil for evil reactions. God calls us to avoid vengeance, to avoid repaying, to avoid saying, I'm going to treat you like you treat me. As we close this morning... I want to give you an acronym off of the word BLESS from Dave Ferguson, who is a church planting um, founder of an organization called Exponential. As we think about blessing and bringing this together and stewarding relationships, 
He says, begin with prayer. We want to ask, God, how do you want me to bless the people and the places that you have sent me to? That might be places we work, places we live, places we play, our recreation. And so we start with that dependency on God. Remember, we steward the relationship with God first, and then we listen. That's the L. Don't talk, but listen to people, their struggles, their pains in the places God sent you. Oftentimes, we want to talk, right? We want to interject. We want to share. We want to give them the whole load right away. But listen. And then he says, eat. That's a good one. You can't just check this off, Dave writes. It's not quick. You have to have a meal with people or a cup of coffee. It builds relationships. And remember, sometimes some of us are geared more introverted. Some of us are more extroverted. This doesn't mean that now you have to sign up for coffee with 10 people in this next week and you have to, you know, do all these things. No, it's about starting with God. What do you want me to do with who you've made me to be? The next one is serve. Because if you listen with people and you eat with people, they will tell you how to love them and you'll know how to serve them. Right? We'll know how to weep with them and we'll know how to rejoice with them because we've been walking the journey. We've heard their stories. And then the last one is actually our story. When the time is right, now we talk and we share the story of how Jesus changed our life. We have a sweet opportunity to steward our relationship with God this morning. As we remember how God values his relationship with us. We come to communion and it flows out of what Jesus told his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He gave them the bread and the cup as a symbol that he was the ultimate sacrifice to take away our sins. He was the Passover lamb. He was the way to be welcomed into God's family. And he asked his disciples to continue to do this in remembrance of him. That the bread would represent his body being broken. That the cup would represent his blood being shed for us as the final sacrifice as the payment to be right with God, the mercies of God. Today, some of us wore flannel to remember Mark Fair. He's actually a man I barely knew, but he was close to many of you. And if we have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today we get to remember Jesus. We get to, through communion, remember and honor him this morning in a way that says we don't ever want to forget. Just like we remember loved ones that we never want to forget. This morning, we don't ever want to forget Christ. And so in communion, the bread and the cup are going to represent Jesus as our Passover lamb. His body being broken, his blood being shed so that we could be forgiven. Communion is, is for believers, those who know Christ and are in fellowship with him and his people. And so it's good for us to spend some time asking God to search our hearts. Do I know him? Am I following him? Is there something that I need to confess? That I haven't been offering my body as a living sacrifice like I could and praising him for his gift. So I'd like to ask us as we close just to bow our heads and spend some time with just us and God, and then the elders will come up and, and lead us forward. Let's pray. Lord God, 
we are truly blessed to have a relationship with you because of Jesus. It is your mercy. It is your undeserved goodness. And so I pray that right now we would in a special way steward our relationship with you for all that you've done for us.